All right, hello everyone and welcome to the Daily Roto Going for the Green Daily Fantasy PGA DFS podcast. My name is Davis Maddock, back for another week. Leone actually wanted to join this week, but uh, I needed to take some victory laps, so I told him uh, that he had to wait another week. And I am, of course, joined by my friend Colin Drewby. How did the Waste Management Phoenix Open go for you? Uh, it was it was okay. Slightly up on betting, slightly down on DFS. Uh, I, I think in general, there was just not a lot of money to be made last week because of how chalky it was, especially at the top of the leaderboard. So uh, my best team in the 333 was 6-6, six of six, which was pretty rare last week, and had Fowler and had JT, and was barely able to cover my other two entries with the payout structure. So uh, just... I felt like it was an all right week. It's just kind of GPP life. Uh, not a whole lot to take away from it for, for me. Uh, definitely was great to see Fowler pull it off. I was at a hockey game for the first half, and so I was shocked when I came back and turned on the, the golf and pulled it up, and he had lost the lead. But it was nice to see him pull it off in the end. It was it was nice to see him win. I thought for sure when the when – the, the penalty stroke where he dropped it and then it went back into the wall into the water. I went in the daily road of slack and I was just like, God is punishing me. Like I have done something horrible to deserve this. He won. I, I bet that's, that has to be the first time anyone has ever gone plus four in a final round and won on the PGA tour. It's gotta be. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was thinking, trying to think about when like Snedeker won that crazy event. I, didn't he? He shot like plus one or plus two right in the final round, and then everyone else ejected. But at, at Pebble. Yeah. Yeah, he, I think he. I think he was plus one, but like the average score that round was like seventy-eight. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe in one of the British Opens of the past or something crazy like that. But definitely the the last time I can remember anything remotely like that and. It also is was kind of an interesting setup because I would say like Fowler wasn't the only guy shooting over par. The weather got worse. It got colder. It was wet. And um, the scores in general went, went up substantially. Also, obviously, harder pin positions on Sunday. But that definitely shows the impact that weather can have on a golf course in a short period of time. And definitely is going to be an interesting theme to talk about for this week for this event. Um, do you do you want to talk about about uh, the the course history stuff with Finau? I I actually saw an interesting point made by someone on Twitter about course history that actually goes back to the data. But basically, Empire Maker tweeted that the odds of a golfer as good as Finau missing the cut at a course four years in a row would be it, you would get astronomical numbers on a golfer that good missing the cut at a tournament four years in a row. So I, I want to present this to you, my, my more data-minded friend. Is it just literally anything can happen in, four, in you know, two days of golf, or do you have a, a larger course history take on Finau at, uh, at the Waste Management Open? Well, I mean, the, the thing is people – the thing about course history in general is people love to cherry-pick the examples. So, like, right. JP had a ba- had bad course history and played well this year at the tournament. So, the like, if you were to net out their two performances um, for guys their skill level, then I think they did about average. So, it's it's you can kind of cherry-pick it. Um, so, I, I don't know. I'm not really going to – lean there i mean I, I i think course fit for me is is kind of still something that's there it's just with with anything it's just whether or not people are using it appropriately as far as making their decisions so um i'd be happy to give empire even money on finau missing the cut next year i'll take finau to make the cut at the waste management 
Uh, and then you speaking of speaking of uh, of L's, you need to eat an L on Matthew Wolf. I tried to I tried to bring him to the people, and uh, you, you shut me down. <laughs> yeah, you did try to bring him to the people on the podcast, and I I, I gave you the non wave, and he ended up playing really well. It was definitely a good course, um, good setup for him. I knew he was long, but I didn't realize he was going to be immediately one of the longest players on tour in that event. So that was pretty impressive. His, uh, his swing, I mean, if, if I had seen him warming up on the range, I definitely would have doubled down on the Matthew Wolf fade, but it, it seems to work for him. Definitely an interesting sign as far as where golf is going um, with, you know, the athleticism of some of the guys and, and taking kind of different approaches. But yeah, definitely got to take my L on Matthew Wolf. I think you defeated me on the podcast last week between trying to bring the people yeah. Matthew Wolf, And then you also touted Ricky Fowler for one and done. And I think you bet him outright. Is that right? I did. Oh man. I I'll be honest with the listeners. I did not win one golf outright in the 2018 PGA season. I did. I did not win one. And, and believe me, it's not, it was not for lack of trying. I was <laughs> betting, I was betting outrights the whole season. Now I don't always do like a car to like 10 guys. Normally I do like two or three. Um, but yeah, they, it felt good though. He really made me sweat it, and I gave it all back uh, immediately. Two hours later, when the Super Bowl started, it all, it all, it all, it came in. It came in the account, and then it left pretty quickly. <laughs> it would, it's better. It would have left anyways. Uh, so at least it was a, a net break. Even um, mine went the opposite way. So I actually the the betting and the matchups and stuff were pretty good with the tools. I don't think I had any outrights that were really in contention. Um, I, I believe that uh, it also was, uh, the model was touting um, Grace at, at uh, on Sunday. It had Grace as a plus EV outright, though, uh, which, which on some books, uh, I know some of our listeners have the, the cash out option. And I believe that you could have cashed him out at, at like, a, I think I heard Mayo say at like 15 to one when, uh, when Ricky's ball went in the water, which, you know, I, I did bet it cause I didn't want to hedge, but would have been a nice opportunity for the uh, subscribers. Yeah, I'm. I'm also low key worried about the this cover boy curse, and I, I don't know if it's um it's not an Ander curse, but something something happened in the past few weeks that we need to monitor going forward. I made Rose the cover boy at the Desert Classic. He had a okay but below average finish in that event. Then goes out and wins the next week at the Farmers. The Farmers. I decided to load up Ricky as the cover boy. Nice pretty image of him. Fowler with a below average performance at the Farmers and then wins the Waste Management. And then, of course, Finau with the anti-course history cover boy last week misses the cut. And looking at the field, Tony Finau is the fourth favorite in the field. And uh, he, I believe, is a, is a plus EV outright by the tools. So uh, we, we're, we're going to see. Yeah, pretty big number on him, too. Um, yeah. I think data golf has him like 12 to one and you can get like 20 or 22. Um, obviously a, a really weak field in general this week. Uh, I mean, yeah, DJ, you have day, but behind those guys is definitely one of the weaker fields. This event, this event is always won by someone who's like 300 to one or greater. I I've seen that mentioned by a couple of the, uh, by just like a couple of golf people on Twitter that like, uh, this is a tournament that, not not historically, but but has been won by like long shot guys, and I think a lot of that probably uh, comes down to luck of the draw and the weather. Just like in general, these are funky circumstances to play golf. Yeah, it seems like every year it's basically like 
DJ and Day versus Randos, <laughs> and and the Randos are coming out on top. Um, Scott Scott Stallings, Ted Potter Jr., these guys, yeah, yeah. But you obviously have the the strong course history and stuff. We'll, we'll kind of get into that, I guess. Good chance to get into this week's tournament, AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. It is going to be a three-course rotation this year for the Pro-Am. Um, Pebble Beach is hosting the U.S. Open later this year, so that's worth noting. We can kind of talk about that. But for this specific event, they'll be playing three courses, Spyglass Hill, Monterey Peninsula, and then Pebble Beach. Uh, because it is a Pro-Am, the cut is after the third round, so all golfers will play at least what these courses once with Pebble Beach hosting the fourth and final round. And the cut this week is to top 60 and ties full field event. So really um, I, I don't think there are going to be a lot of six to six lineups. Um, obviously it's not going to matter quite as much just missing one round, but with the cut to T60 and the deep field, um, there is definitely going to be some carnage and some tilt on the cut sweats this week. Five, five of sixes should if you have like guys in the top five should be profitable this weekend, I would think. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially, yeah. If you have guys in the top five, I mean, if you have the winner in five to six, I would, I would almost guarantee you're going to cash tournaments with that lineup and you would smash cash games. So in the optimizer, will you be setting your thresholds lower than normal on cut percentage, but higher than normal on like T twenties? Um, I'll, I'll probably just set that one threshold on, off like T20. I usually set it between 15 and 20%. I'll probably stick in that range. Tinker, kind of see what it says. I would say one of the possible strategies this week is to take more stands up top and then take more of a scattershot approach down low. So that'll kind of dictate where I end up setting the threshold for the player pool. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I think all of that, uh, I think all that makes sense. This is probably a week where paying attention to the draws and to the weather on uh, on specific days actually probably does matter because uh one of the courses i believe it's spyglass is less affected by the wind is that correct yeah so monterey peninsula and pebble beach and spyglass hill are the three courses um generally if you're looking kind of at a longer time period monterey peninsula is one of the easiest of the three it's a par 71 just below seven thousand yards and has more eagles and birdies on the course historically and um, also has three par fives on the same nine, which is pretty conducive for birdie streaks and DK scoring. Spyglass Hill plays easier than Pebble Beach, and then Pebble Beach is the the toughest of them. Um, But Monterey Peninsula and Pebble Beach are both coastal courses and are more exposed to the wind and elements. Spyglass Hill, a bit inland, a bit more protection from the trees, at least kind of historically. And it's certainly something to, to monitor. Um, the weather this week is for sure going to be a factor in the golf tournament. And then trying to dissect it for DFS is going to be something that gets talked a lot about and kind of trying to tease through the bullshit and figure out what matters is going to end up being very important this week. Um, cold weather and possible windy conditions on Friday and potentially on the weekend as well, kind of all set up to make this something that's really interesting. Uh, the wind will, of course, matter as far as affecting the scoring conditions. And so in the Daily Roto Fantasy Golf projections, that's something I would recommend doing is playing around with the um, scoring average relative to par to figure out how that impacts the type of roster constructions you would want to build. And then cold weather, I think, is a little bit underrated as far as the conversation this week. Uh, temperatures look like they're going to be in the 40s or 50s. 
And whenever the weather is cold, the ball does not travel as far, especially with the rain that they've had in the area recently. That's just good Kansas golfing weather. You go out, you go out when it's 45 degrees and misty. I've, I've, played, I've played 30 rounds in those conditions. <laughs> yeah, that's just your standard Sunday conditions. Yeah, this is like, like if I go play this weekend, that's what it'll be like here. Actually, um, will you talk to me a little bit about the expected scoring average bar on data golf? Because I, I have never messed with it. Yeah, so there's the scoring average bar, which they kind of look at the previous five years relative to par at whatever the courses are in the rotation for that specific event. And um, then you can customize that. So if you think that the course is going to play a lot tougher, then you can move it from maybe like minus one relative to par to even or even above par if you think it's going to play uh, very challenging. And couple of things that'll do. Well, obviously, when you increase the scoring average relative to par, it's going to decrease DraftKings scoring. That, in turn, is going to put more of a weight on the finishing points as it relates to the overall projections. So um, a lot of times what that will end up doing is kind of shifting slightly closer to top-heavy builds versus more balanced builds when the scoring conditions get tougher uh, just because you really need that win equity in order to cash in. Yeah. So uh, some guys with outstanding course history here, Dustin Johnson dominates this course. Jason Day dominates this course. Uh, these guys just always have good finishes here. I believe Jordan Spieth has never finished worse than 22nd here. Mickelson has really good course history here. Uh, Cantlay uh, took ninth in this tournament uh, as an amateur when he was 20 years old, which is pretty wild. Uh, those, were, those were some of the ones that left out to me. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think like DJ and Day, um, more more or less inside the top five, in like 80% of their starts. And those are the guys whose course history really does stand out here. Um, and then the Phil, a little bit more erratic with his. So he kind of has, and that's, that's like a Phil thing, right? He's got the high top end finishes, but then years um, where he kind of flirts with the cut line as well. Um, it is a pro-am, and so one of the hard things is trying to figure out how Pebble Beach is going to play. So we kind of glossed over the, the potential for wave stacking and things like that in yeah. the weather or course stacking. And I think because Spyglass is protected, if the weather is bad on only one day, I think you'd probably want your guys playing Monterey in the easier conditions and potentially playing Spyglass in the tougher conditions. Um, but... I, I think that how Pebble plays with the U.S. Open coming is also a topic of conversation. I was reading some things that suggest that the fairways are going to be more narrow, but that the rough is still at max going to be two inches long because it is a pro-am and like they don't want to set up these amateurs to have like seven or eight hour rounds. So all of that's kind of going into the, the scoring conditions. Um, oh, this broadcast. Yeah, watching, yeah. watching this event on TV is so, so painful. It's also just going to be tilting for like fantasy because of course rotation. You're not really going to know where you stand until Saturday. So it's like a build your lineups, shut the laptop. Don't open the DraftKings page until like Saturday afternoon. Do you, uh, do you have, um, do you have a, a lean in terms of, uh, I just completely forgot what I was going to say. Yeah. So beyond the course history, there's the course fit, which I think is also that, interesting. That's what I was going to say is there, I, I have a lean in terms of stats that I'm looking at this week. And I'm wondering if we are looking at the same ones. In, in general, historically, it seems like off the tee play has mattered a little bit less. Um, and then the other thing that was pretty interesting was in 2010, which was the last year that Pebble hosted the U.S. Open. 
Uh, strokes gained putting ended up being a pretty substantial relative to the traditional tour course. And not sure exactly how much of that could have been setup related versus just kind of pure variance. Um, so I guess in general, I think that um, off the tee play is going to matter a little bit less than a traditional event. But the thing that does give me pause is the fact that the weather's going to be so cold and the ball will definitely travel um, shorter distances for, for all of these golfers, like 10 to 20 yards shorter, which I think will lengthen a Pebble Beach course that otherwise plays as one of the shorter ones on tour. I, I'm definitely looking at at like wedge play, like uh, approach the green, around the green. Those are those are like going to be like definitely some like tie breaking sorts of stats that I look at this week when I go in to mess with my guys in the optimizer. Yeah. So and then I'm still trying to figure out if I'll play a weather angle. Right now, it seems like maybe um, maybe playing Pebble on Saturday would be a pretty bad situation to be in. Um, so maybe, I don't know, most likely what I'll try to do is customize the projections to bump guys a little bit versus take, take on full wave stacks or things like that. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that makes sense. So before we get into DK prices, want to give you guys a little promo on our fantasy golf tools on dailyroto.com. You can save 10% on the tools at dailyroto.com slash premium when you enter the promo code FNTSY. Gain access to our PGA betting tools, our lineup optimizer, and fantasy projections, which are powered by Data Golf and going for the green. Uh, They've been they've been very useful for me. The the betting tools in particular, I actually think are like I think we undersell how useful they are. Actually, yeah, I mean they're it's awesome. I mean the betting tools are incredible as far as being able to compare prices across all the different betting markets and sites that you could potentially be wagering on. And then um, had a subscriber actually reach out to help uh, at dailyroto.com asking if we could add head to head and three ball matchups that were automated. And I was like, Hey buddy, they're already there. Just click view matchup lines. And you can I, see. I, I didn't know that until this morning. And then I just, cause Mayo has just been talking about all these head to heads and I'm like, I'm probably losing money by not betting on these. And I, I found out they were there the whole time. Yeah. So it, it is fun. And the, the tools are updating after each round. So if you don't get a chance to that before the event, but you want to add outrights and stuff like that. That's um, all, all stuff that you can do in there. Um, so definitely should be, yeah, I, I agree. I think part of it is uh, the betting stuff. Like I, I bet Micah Drew and I had a fund last year, but we don't do it regularly. We kind of jump in and out for specific events. So now we got you picking outright winners. They can't be that bad. Yeah, no, they they have to they clearly have to be good. So prices by range, we have Dustin Johnson five hundred dollars more expensive than everyone else in the field. Only guy who's more than ten thousand. Jason Day at ten point nine. Tony Finau at ten point six. Fleetwood at ten point three. Kucher at ten k flat. Uh, I mean, DJ is such a premier play that I don't think that playing him at this ridiculous price is bad at all. Yeah, I think it's. Good, um, especially with the scoring environment that we're talking about setting up where the finish points matter a lot. Uh, I think it's it's rare that I would want to lock in a guy at this price in like a cash game format or even smaller field sing single entry, but I do think that this is a week where paying up for Dustin Johnson makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't really have any concerns with him coming over from that event in the Middle East, but I guess that's the the one thing if you wanted to argue against DJ just for the sake of it, that you could say that his travel schedule is um, not been friendly. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I was actually surprised to see Fleetwood being so expensive. I guess that he is this pedigree of golfer now, but I, maybe it just kind of took me by surprise. I think they just felt like they had to get like other people <laughs> priced up here. I, I feel like there's a, I understand why Day's price is there, looking at his course history, specifically at this event, finishing inside of the top 15 in five of his last six starts, including three finishes inside the top five in the last four years. So I understand why they got the pricing bump. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand why it's there. The other guys, I kind of feel like they just had to, they had to get the the prices up there because they're never just going to have like one guy, like the pricing out Vegas ads. They're never just going to have one guy priced above 10 K or above 11K. So um, I don't know. To me, it's pretty easy to play DJ over day. Uh, Right now projected ownership between them. It's like 20 versus 25%. I could see that ending up like 15% and 30% and that would bring a little more pause, but I still think DJ is the play for me just out of those two that are kind of at the top end of the range. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if, if I want to be team short-term form here, Kucher is like kind of like two putts away from having three wins in his last four starts. Like if, if, if Kucher would have just gotten, you know, two extra putts to roll on Sunday, he like he he could have won the waste management and i i don't think of him as a 10k golfer but i i mean if if you were team short term form kucher definitely has it right now yeah kucher's playing well right now um i would say it's hard to i feel like he he got kind of lucky over the course of the event putting generally he gained a ton of strokes on putting so i'm not gonna give him those two extra strokes you want to give him last week but uh kucher I think in a different scoring environment where like balance bills are going to be more important, I'd probably consider him a little bit more seriously. Now he's for sure a secondary option behind DJ. Uh, I do have interest in going back to the well with Tony Finau again this week, if for no other reason that I've been picking the cover boy a week before their win. So if this is going to be a trend, then I got to get on Finau this week. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Finau is like a, a pretty strong play, and especially, do you think that there will be like any decreased ownership from people bummed out on him from last week? Um, a little bit. I mean, the price is high, so higher price will generally bring a little bit lower ownership um, as people gravitate towards balance builds. And then he kind of he's not quite at a range where you have to choose between him and DJ, but it's pretty close. So. I think those two things will keep it in check. So I, I for sure he's going to be lower owned than last week. Uh, I could see it in the 15 to 20% range. Yeah. Um, 9K guys. Uh, I do think that Cantlay is a, uh, I do think that he's, he's pretty strong at, at 9.8. I, I, if I was doing the pricing, I would make him probably look the same price as Fleetwood. Yeah. It's the model definitely likes Cantlay. Um, he, he's been fairly tilting at different points in time. And I think the ownership is going to be there for both Cantlay and Spieth in this range. I think they'll kind of be the, the two highest owned guys. Uh, Ches Revy's getting a little bit of buzz early in the week, but I think that'll kind of taper off by the time Locke comes around. And I think people are always kind of looking for reasons to, to jump back on Spieth. And uh, Cantlay has been generally a really consistent golfer for, for DFS. So He's one of the guys, like there are some guys where if they miss a cut, people will jump off them immediately. And there are others where I think people are willing to kind of stay on them. And so we saw people stay on Finau last week. And I think people stay on Cantlay again, um, despite kind of the recent blip. 
Well, I think a reason that people will stay on Cantlay is that uh, he's got good he's got good narrative here. I, like that will definitely play into it. Yeah, from the from the amateur finish. Yeah, from the amateur, and I I don't even know. I think he made the cut here last year as well. Yeah, last two years, thirty fifth and forty eighth. So, I mean, unspectacular finishes. There's definitely the pause where like can't lay. One of my one and done entries is can't putt. That's the team name, and there's definitely always a little bit of concern if the weather ends up nasty and you have to scramble a lot if um, if can't lay is not clicking. Whether or not that's going to end up in a in a good situation. Um, it's kind of a ownership play. I think like 15 to 20% ownership is fair. I think if it starts getting closer to 25 where he's one of the highest owned guys in the field, um, it would start to give me a little bit of pause in tournaments. Uh, he's definitely a guy that I could consider for cash games, but I do think that paying up for Dustin Johnson would be smart. And I don't know if paying up for DJ and a high nine K guy is like the, the way to go. Still kind of wrestling with that decision a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, guys here who I really want to play, I, I'm not going to play Jordan. Uh, I probably won't play Phil. Uh, the, guy I, the guy I actually have the most interest in playing in the 9Ks is, is Adam Scott. Uh, uh, just because of the short-term form or, or because of the course fit? Or I guess what are you looking for there? All of it. I mean, I just think Adam Scott, I think Adam Scott is a better golfer than Patrick Reed. I think he's a better golfer than Paul Casey, better than Chez, better than Grace. So I think he's just the, I just think he's the best long-term form and aided by the good uh, short-term form. Like, and I'm just yeah. like, I'm I, lifetime. I'm just long Adam Scott. Yeah. It's got the good looks going for him too. Um, I, I like Scott. I like him at modest ownership percentages. If it gets too high, I'd be okay pivoting. I don't think he's a dominant favorite of this range. I like him comparably to Casey. I'd like him maybe a little bit more than Patrick Reed, but not substantially enough that I would eat some huge difference in ownership. So that's one of the things I'm worried about um, is, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like we were able to get Scott at sub 7,500. Yeah, 7,500. 5% ownership. And yeah. now if it's like 15% and almost 9,500, it's, I mean, that's, I guess that's PGA DFS for you. But yeah, Scott in a, in a vacuum is pretty good. He's another one of those guys that if, um, if he's got to make a bunch of putts, it's not going to be comfortable. But um, I, I think that's, this is one of the ranges where there's maybe more bipolar course fits than anything else, just because you have Scott Casey can't like great ball strikers who, who can't putt. And then you have kind of the the guys who can maybe scramble a little bit more with Reed and Spieth and, um, and even Phil is kind of in that situation. Yeah. Do you have any interest in playing nine K Chez Revy? Uh not not nine k chalk Chez Revy. I would be okay. The yeah, price tag I'm, in this I'm, I'm not inter- I'm not interested. Chez Chez is like a dude I will play in strong fields when he's like seven point six because that's like a really good spot to play him. Actually, he's like a good cut maker and actually can score on DraftKings. But I just don't I don't see it as being great here. Yeah, what did Brandon Grace's ownership end up being last week? I don't. I I don't know. I, I didn't. Ha, I didn't own him in any contest. But I know. I mentioned on the podcast that we had like a crazy low ownership projection on it because he was a late addition to the field. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see what the final ended up being. I want to say. Well, hold on. I have it right here. Two percent in the the large field MME. So that was a pretty yeah, good. Wow. That's pretty good that's performance pretty, at two percent. Yeah. 
And honestly, it was because he was not touted. 100%, it was because he was not on the shows because he wasn't added until like Monday night. Yeah, I think his Vegas odds were a bit lower too compared to the other guys in this price range. Um, Obviously, great finish, finishing second. I think he was sixth in strokes gained tee to green over the course of the event. So it wasn't like a fluky performance just driven by the putter either. Um, I like him more than our projections do, uh, especially he's always kind of seemed like a guy that could lean on in this type of scoring environment. Bad bad weather, man. Bad, bad weather. Brendan, he's really good there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I think he'll be like 10% owned. So definitely not going to get him at 2% anymore. Um, and who who knows kind of where it goes from. You, you know who's also good in bad weather? Who who? Shane Lowry. Is this because he's from Ireland? Yeah, he's a good he's a good wind player. Is this I a- I this is a narrative. I actually most of the time when I say a narrative on this show, most of the time I'm kidding or like playing into the character of Davis Maddock. But I do actually totally believe that uh, the Euro guys who play all those links courses are better in the wind, and I back that decision up with my money in my lineups. Yeah, I, I mean, like, the a Lynx course, it, yeah, I mean, I guess Pebble is Lynx, but uh, I would say the, the European courses definitely play different than this course Whoa, will play, yeah. especially. It's, I mean, there are they're no, no trees. People, people don't really, there are just no trees in Europe anywhere on the golf courses. They just yeah. don't believe in it. Yeah, yeah, the wind stuff's for sure one of the interesting angles where I think people kind of look at it in the, in uh, not like mathematically accurate way, but it makes a lot of sense that there would be, some merit to it and why some guys would kind of thrive or, or be poor in those conditions. I don't really have the data on Lowry. So I, I don't know if you have it in front of me, if you know what his like strokes gain in bad conditions are relative to his baseline or if they're just, um, it kind of depends how people are using those stats. I'd have to, I'd have to go, uh, I'd have to go dig it up. Maybe I'll do that while we go through this next range. I'll see if I can find his wind conditions on, uh, on future of fantasy or, Whatever. Uh, this next this next range of guys, though, I think there are um, a lot of potential plays here. I think that uh, Lowry will probably be owned. Kokrak will definitely be owned. Uh, do, talk to me about Sun J M. I like uh, I like don't know anything about this guy, but he's played like every event this year, other than the Tournament of Champions. Yeah, so I, he was a Web.com grad. He was pretty highly regarded. Data Golf had done a report kind of on the web grads and which ones they felt like would be best on tour. And he was towards the top of that list and he's produced kind of consistent results. Um, and I, I think that's why people are looking to keep playing him. Six straight make cuts, three finishes inside the top 20. He's now playing his fifth event in a row. So I know you said earlier this year that that was something that you looked at as kind of a positive thing. Uh, do you feel like five events is still kind of in that sweet spot threshold? Do you worry about burnout or anything like that? No, no. I, I, five events, like five playing five weekends of golf in a row, it sounds like a nice vacation to me. Uh, I, I mean, and and I think maybe if he'd been having like uh, bad results or, you know, like, oh, my wrist is bothering me, like then, yeah, then you start to weigh that stuff. But I think we always want more data. We want more shots. We want more putts. We want to track all this stuff and getting, getting like performance data five weeks in a row, I think has to be viewed as a positive. Yeah. Yeah. He rates pretty well on the model. Um, kind of not a huge separation between him and someone like Matthew Fitzpatrick, um, but definitely rates well. So that at, kind of ends up being a guy that the ownership will dictate how much exposure I, I have to him. I do think, 
both Matthew Fitzpatrick and Adam Hadwin are guys that I'm interested in for tournaments. And I think that you're going to get uh, a good percentage on Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I think both Fitzpatrick and Hadwin, you'll get pretty good percentages on. Um, and I think they could fit with like a, a DJ build pretty easily as well. So that's another appealing thing. Um, Rafa Cabrera Bello is definitely. Yeah. The, yeah. That's who I, I might, I might, uh, I've, I've been like varying my strategy every week. Um, some weeks I've gone like 100% on a guy last week. I maximized everyone at 40% and, uh, sucked cause I had 40% Ricky, but 40% Fino. So that wasn't great. But I, I think this week I, I might legit just lock button RCB in 20 lineups. Yeah. Um, do you have interest in, in Sneds? He's for no, sure a course no. history play, like overpriced compared to his general skill of a golfer, but has won here twice and has made the cut here in five or six events. Probably won't play Sneds, probably won't play Knox, probably won't play Putnam, all in guys in this range. Yeah. Um, champ, interest interest in champ at 8k I, i'd like champ at 8k especially if other people are going to be penalized for being shorter and he's going to have an advantage from having easier wedge shots yeah that's one you can talk circles around yourself with um for sure at, at this event just because you have like the the fairways being more narrow at pebble and then the bad scoring conditions leading to kind of more scrambling and more putting. Um, but then the cold weather lengthening the course. Um, I, I don't think I'll end up playing um, very much champ, I guess would be, would be my guess. Um, I mean, even, even 10% would probably get you overweight. I would guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, I think they're okay plays from a, a leverage perspective. So I guess that might be a contrarian way to, to put together something with like a, a DJ build. Um, I think that, uh, I think that I like, uh, JB Holmes more. Yeah, he, he did well the one year. Well, <laughs> talk about cherry picking small samples. You take course history and then take a one year sample of course history. The one year in 2010 that the event was played before the US open and JB Holmes finished second that year. So, there's your, there's your uh, tout move from me, me this week. A one-year sample of course history before this course was played before the US Open. Are you proud? I am. I am. I, I needed you to bring a one-tournament sample to the podcast. I knew I would have uh, a negative impact on you at, uh, at some point. So I, I, JB is definitely a guy. I can, I can lock him into my, uh, to my mix now. Uh, Lucas Glover showing up as uh you know as he always will he is uh he finished 18th on tour last year in strokes gained off the tee and he finished 126 in strokes gained putting which is basically the lucas glover experience yeah never concerning at all when you're considering lucas glover patrick cantlay adam scott yeah you're just seeing like you can you can you can win or you can let you can get four missed cuts like it's just beautiful yeah Seems like the the Glover ownership is going to be pretty heavy. I think in general, the this kind of price range will be one where people are mixing and matching in tournaments. I think Glover, Russell Henley, I think Doug Gim are all going to carry um, decently heavy ownership, and they they're kind of in the price range where a lot of people can pair them up with DJ builds if you want, um, or you can pair them up as kind of the like fourth or fifth golfer as more balanced builds. So. I think all those guys will kind of end up getting ownership and even Glover, like he rates pretty favorably for us, but at the ownership level he's getting, I would kind of rather get up a notch to like 
the Kisner, J.B. Holmes range, or perhaps get down just because I don't feel like I'm sacrificing that much in projection and I do get a lot of differentiation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I will, I chalk Russell Henley. Absolutely. No, thanks. Never once in my life. Have I played chalk Russell Henley and I never will. Yeah. I don't, I haven't decided what, what I'll do with him. He's not my, not my, not my cup of tea at all. Yeah. What, what is leading to the, I guess the chatter on Henley, like usually it's, you kind of see the chalk and it's like pretty easy to figure out why that is. And Henley, I can't tell if it's just because this field lacks so much depth or it, if there's something it's there. People, people don't know a ton of the names in this field. Like, uh, and he's like a good wedge player and he kind of just bunts it around and keeps it in the fairway. I would assume. Yeah. I, it would be, yeah, I wouldn't have an issue pivoting down to like the Fratelli Hoffman, Siwoo Kim range. I like, all- I like Fratelli and Spawn in this range. Yeah. And what's Spawn's looking like he'll be pretty reasonably owned as well. Like this is the range. I haven't dug in enough to tease out if there are any reasons to cross off some of the golfers, but I do see um, ownership getting congested in this range for no real reason. Like I don't have a firm opinion on many of these golfers being substantially better, but it seems like there is going to be materially different ownership. And so right here we kind of have, 10 or 15 golfers that all are within like three or 4% odds to T20 are all kind of coin flips, like 50 to 55% odds to make the cut. And there's not a lot of differentiation. Um, this would be the type of thing where if I did decide to take a big stand up top with going with like DJ and like 50% of my lineups or, or something like that, that instead of trying to hone in, I would just take a lot of exposure to, um, or a little bit of exposure to a bunch of these guys. Um, and I guess in general, the way the week is setting up, I'm trying to figure out how to manage my lineups and whether I want to hone in on like creating one lineup in a higher stakes tournament or a couple lineups in a higher stakes tournament or going with an MME approach. And I just feel like the way that the week is setting up, like the decisions I'm making, I feel a lot better with like the, the MME approach than I do with trying to hone in on like the one perfect lineup when there's so many guys that are kind of clustered so close together. I just think it would be hard to come up with a lineup that you feel is the optimal projected lineup based on like the wide range of outcomes for everyone in the middle. Like I just don't see anyone in the middle as being like the slam dunk best play. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's better to make like a bunch of lineups just like shuffling these guys. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure there's a MME event out there, maybe like a 20 max. That would be the type of thing where I could even consider like the lock button on DJ in a 20 max. And yeah, you're speaking my language now. Lock button, <laughs> lock button on DJ and RCB, and then turn the shuffle to 20 and just let it do its thing. Yeah, um, it looks like the 20 max is three dollars, so that's not quite. But if if you were gonna play like three lineups in the $20 three max or 20 in the $3. And I don't know, like 20 in the $3. That's my, that's probably be- what I'll do. I, I would like to win the drive the green this year. That is like, that is a, that is a, obviously a, a goal. I think that would be, cause it's my first year uh, using these tools. The So <laughs> just to take a step back, your first year using the tools, you're expecting to win a hundred K to first place prize. Yeah. It's, so it's happened to you. You, you use the tools and you just smash every week. So why can't I? <laughs> yeah, it can happen. I like that. You're not, you're not setting your goals low. Uh, I, I don't know if the, I, you have, have you worked in a corporate environment? 
Um, you know, kind of, I, my last job was, my last job was kind of corporate, but I never went into an office or anything. Yeah. I always used to like tell you, you get to set like smart goals and it like smart, it's like specific, measurable, realistic, achievable, timely. Well, I would like to, I would hear, how about this for a realistic goal? I would like to, uh, turn my roto tracker, uh, PGA graph upside down from, from just lifetime beginning at even, and just a slow nosedive for the last four <laughs> years. I'd like to turn that one around. There we go. So that's, that's a little bit more realistic. I was going to say you're pretty specific and measurable with the goal of trying to win hundred K to, to first, but I don't know how realistic that one is. I mean, Mayo did it. If Mayo did it, I can do it, right? He won 100K? He won, he won the 20K, like whatever one oh, is yeah. 20K to first. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. Now we're pairing back the goals, just winning 20K to first instead of 100K. I think, yeah, 20K, 20K, totally reasonable. Why not? Um, other guys that uh, I think are plays in this range, Joel Damon every week. Um, Steve Stricker, 7,100. You, you going you to get in on that? Oh man, probably a tiny bit. Um, I don't know. There, I guess there are conditions where the sh- the short game could matter, and his putting could actually be an asset. The the length um, maybe doesn't matter quite as much, even though it's going to be cold. All those things are kind of conflicting with me right now. Um, I'll pr- if I do the the lock DJ or like fifty percent DJ MME approach, I'm sure I'll have Stricker in at least five to ten percent of my lineups. But um, I don't think I would put him into a single entry balanced roster type build. I think that the tough thing with old guys is I know that the data golf model is kind of looking at the previous couple of years and they're weighting all of the progressive events more. So it does catch some of the aging curve, but you also expect like a natural progression downward from some of those guys. And so maybe um can bump him down a little bit and he's still fair price at 7,100. Um, I kind of like Anders Albertson a little bit this week as well. I think that he was another guy in the web.com preview that Data Golf had done that kind of popped up in the same, not quite the same skill set as Sung JM, but he's a lot cheaper and carrying a fraction of the ownership. Um, and he was reasonably popular last week, but I think the miscut and the price increase is enough for people to move off him. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's reasonable. Uh, I have uh, I have two bombs that uh, that I am I, one guy I'm at least for sure gonna play, and then uh, another guy that I wanted to get your thoughts on. So the the one bomb that I am locked in to play is is Tom Hoagie. That dude, that dude is uh, he's a he's a good enough golfer to to make the cut here and to perform because he's like he's got the wedge game and that's what I'm focusing on this week and also he's just like a long term meme from my PGA DFS career and the guy I wanted to get your thoughts on he actually shows up as a plus EV outright at three hundred to one is Adam Shank. Shank. <laughs> I, I still don't know I don't know what the right pronunciation is. <laughs> I like that you don't want my thoughts on Tom Hoagie because you're just like. Well, I mean, I'm I'm positive you're going to be like Hoagie's a terrible value. You can't play him, whatever. But I'm just I'm just letting the people know Tom Hoagie will finish t thirty eight this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't I don't really know what to make of Shanky. Seems like he's like a mediocre balanced golfer. It's not like he has one like outlier trait. Um, yeah, he's he's made he's made like a bunch of cuts for whatever that's worth. 
Yeah. But yeah, not, I, not honestly, good cuts. It's not like he's he's not he's not like shooting like sixty fours. He's just like grinding <laughs> out pars. There's uh I mean sure he could make the cut. He's probably like a coin flip to make the cut, right? I don't know what, what do our odds have him at to make the cut. I'll look at that right now just to but I just I know yeah, we I got was forty eight percent to make the cut. So what do we got? Get, what do we got? Hogue to make the cut? I I uh, like my search bar does not work in the in the tool. Forty <laughs> percent. So I'll give you even money on Shank to make the cut if you want. Then then you don't even have to play him in DFS. Give me give me give me minus one ten on or yeah no give me give me plus one ten like one point one to one uh on on hoagie to make the cut that's a more fun sweat for me <laughs> sure yeah we can do that okay because i already bet shank at 300 to one i think i can give you plus 120 okay wow giving out money over here giving wow out printing we're printing it's a print fest <laughs> on this podcast high stakes easy, easiest money i've ever made yeah, bet minimum one thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> uh do you have do you have any bombs you have any guys that you think who are like sub 6.8k who you like or will be included in builds no, nothing. Um, nothing that's missing. Some of the guys have to make a, like a, I mean, someone like Shank could consider to have in the player pool, but I'm probably going to be cutting it off at at least at 15% to T20, and doesn't seem like there's any value um, really down there. Um, so I'll probably pass on that range in general and try to stick to the, the guys where it's a little bit more likely to to make the cut. Yeah um okay is that it is that it for dk discussion yeah i think so uh it should be i just in general i'd say i think to me it feels like maybe it's a better mme week it's a week where you want to wait till wednesday night to make your lineups because you want to make sure you have the most accurate weather report and then i think instead of forcing stacks onto a certain course that instead the right way to approach bills would be to slightly adjust the customizable projections in our fantasy golf product and to build lineups that way. If you wanted to um, target golfers that were per perhaps playing the worst rotation, one other way to limit your exposure would be to create a group in the optimizer that says kind of play at most one golfer that is playing pebble on Saturday, for example. Sharp takes. We got back to the data. You gave out, you gave out a one year sample take with JB Holmes and now you got back to the data. I'm, it's good to see you coming back to your roots. You, you, uh, you got any winning bets you're going to follow up the Fowler one with? I don't, I don't actually like anyone for real other than Finau. Finau, Finau is the only bet I made uh, that I expect to have a sweat on Sunday. Every, like everyone else I'm, I'm legit betting like, uh, like, 200 like 200 to one or more just because i i like it's obviously it's it's a total waste of money but uh <laughs> like i guess the thing is, is the if sweat I, value if you got a guy in the top five Sunday. that's the thing if you buy if you buy the conceit that this tournament is more likely than other tournaments to produce a winner at these odds and you're not betting some of them you're giving up like a slight perceived edge i think yeah so 20 to 1 Tony Finau you can get him at 21 on on my bookie where we have a deposit bonus you can get with the promo FNTSY deposit bonus up to $1000 uh if you're on sportsbook you can actually get him at 22 to 1 so that's one of the things in our betting tools you do have accounts on both sites looks like sportsbook and Bovada are currently offering better prices than than Finau and bet365 is down to 20 to 1 my bookie is down to 20 to 1 and to me, that makes me think that people are betting those numbers in those books or perhaps moving them a little quicker because I believe they were equal earlier in the week. Um, and so I would bet now if you want to, because 
those sports book and Bovada will likely follow. It does seem like a, f- a fun week for some of the crazy long shots. Um, I, it's hard. The, the way I use the betting tools is I kind of use the model and then I just account for like a margin of error. And if something is still popping as plus EV after that, then um, I feel kind of more comfortable kind of firing on it. Um, but it was very interesting to open it up and see like West Roach at yeah, 600 like, to one. See, that's it's like a thing. good value. That's the thing. How can you see a plus EV 600 to one bet and not put $2 on that? You would hate <laughs> yourself for the rest of your life if you didn't bet that in West Roach one. Yeah. So you got like the West Roach, Sam Saunders at 350 to one. Um, Bryce Garnett at 250, Alex Chayka at 500. Like these, I'm just, I'm just betting these couple bucks. Yeah. It's just like the, the pain of missing out on like, like when Scott Stallings won this tournament, I'm sure no one bet him, but imagine being the guy who saw that Scott Stallings was a plus EV bet and didn't put $2 on it. Like just imagine (laughs) feeling that pain. Yeah, I meant to bring it up. I forgot I, if I remember the AT&T was coming up, I would have told you. But um, I feel like your boy Rufus Peabody from the last take cast, I think one of his biggest long shots ever was Ted Potter. I, I don't think he hit him last year for his win, but I think he'd hit him at like a somewhere between a three and 500 price for one of his first tour wins. So I don't know, maybe some some long shots. Finau backing up the cover boy curse, winning the week after being the cover boy. Seems like the the most likely one, but could be fun just to to fire a couple bullets on some of the well, long shots. I guess it is worth noting that Cantlay is also getting a plus EV number as well. So if you wanted to barely, if, yeah, if you wanted to know the the number on uh, on some other books is like more than barely. It's like actually good. Okay. On some of the offshore books, you're getting like uh, you can get like twenty five to one on him. Oh yeah, my bookie twenty five to one. Yeah. So. Those are, those are, those, that's not a bad number for him, I don't think. So what everybody is here for is obviously Davis Maddox one and done picks. You've, I think that some of the listeners have, two winners? no, just one winner, but I've had a third, a ninth, a fifth and a win now and through four events. So I think some of the listeners are tailing because I'm tied with five people in 44th. So my question to live. Yeah, I'm live. But more importantly, I think I'm live to win the segment. And I think that some people maybe won't conceive of things that way. So do you think that I should burn DJ this week? <laughs> I think I think that's got to be if you're in a good spot right now, and you think you can maybe win the segment, I think you have to ask yourself, should DJ be used this week? Yeah, what's the um, what's the segment payout? How many spots are getting paid out for the segment? Do you remember? Uh, I do not remember. I, I assume top five, probably. Yeah, so if it's top five, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? You're you're having a really good start, but the pool's so big. The pool, <laughs> so, I mean, DJ is going to be selected by 600 people this week. Yeah, so um, what if DJ is selected by like 20% of the field, and the, even if the people aren't like thinking about it any sharper than like you could maybe crack into the top 10 if DJ were to win and you'd still have four events left. I think seems like a pretty good approach. Um, His win equity is definitely extremely high. And this will, this will be the weakest field probably that he'll play. Yeah. And that the first place prize is like 1.3 million. Yeah. It's it's pretty, this is a, this is a higher purse than normal event. Yeah. Slightly. It's like a, anywhere from 100 to 300k higher 
it's going to be less than like a WGC. Um, but with yeah, that, that's the thing is I really, I really want to use DJ at like a 54 person WGC. Like re- like that's, that's where you want to get the DJ money in. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a tough one. I think I probably would play DJ this week in your and, shoes. And we know, we know by the way that DJ really really wants to win this tournament too like this is a we don't know we don't know much about dj but there's something he's publicly said is he really wants to win this one because he's won it before though he plays with his stepdad though that's like he loves playing this tournament so much because he plays with gretzky yeah i I was gretzky still playing with him after dj's marital shenanigans last year (laughs) it's a good question i don't know if we have i don't know if we have confirmation could be an awkward twosome how um, crazy is it that Dustin Johnson's stepdad is Wayne Gretzky? Or, or not stepdad, father-in-law? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even catch that the first time. What about the, mo- the most, the most like, ridiculous pairing of two athletes of all time? Yeah. I guess the other guy you would consider would be Day, right? Because you're generally not high on Day, um, so you don't care yeah. as much about saving Day. Yeah, I don't, like, I'm, I'm 0% to ever use Day at a WGC, probably. Whereas, no. whereas I, if I don't play dj here i'm probably playing him at one of the majors well, for well i mean sure. the u.s open is gonna be at pebble right so oh man <laughs> but i think saving guys is like a little stupid like maybe not saving guys but like until you like, through the top 15 golfers in the world in the year which is year. i'm on pace i'm on pace to do that i'm definitely on pace to burn up like the yeah. top 20 golfers like relatively soon yeah, if I was in your shoes, I'd probably use Day or DJ, and I would hope that gets you in. If they win, hope it gets you. Or even if they come in second, right, and some rando wins, then maybe people won't have that. And if they win, you're kind of inside the top ten with three events left, and you can really play. one of those is the Puerto Rico Open, which doesn't mean a whole lot, and you can kind of plan out from there. Obviously, if they don't win, you'll know a little bit more, and you could kind of pull back on your your approach. But it seems seems like using one of those two golfers would make sense. So what are you doing with the three DR entries? What are your thoughts? So they're, they're all kind of in like, one is in bad shape, I would say. And then two others are kind of in middling shape as far as like kind of looking at the money one, like no winners, um, but had like Kucha last week, which was good and made up some ground. But um, one of them's kind of burned some more talent on that one. So I think with like both of them, I kind of have to take a more conservative approach and try not to, to waste some of these guys um, and save them to potentially attack another segment later or make up ground with like a, a long shot win. So I would be looking potentially to, to use a guy that is outside of the top 25 in the world, potentially a guy that doesn't play as many events. So I am considering using someone like Brandon Grace or Shane Lowry just because I don't really see another time where they'd be super dialed up for my lineups, maybe the RBC Heritage for Grace or something like that. But I'd consider using a guy like that or even someone like Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I, for I'm for the fun. for the teams that are just like whatever, I think you're kind to buy time in this segment and not use anyone that you'd want to use at one of the big money events where you could potentially win one of the further ahead segments. Yeah. So I think that's what I'll probably do if I was in a little bit more competitive position. I think the the DJ versus day um, kind of short-term segment approach would be 
more in my head. And then you can always go with like a, something like a Patrick Reed or something like that too, if you're kind of quasi competitive, but um, I mean, in the day, it's it's not too too early to give up in the segment if you put together like a winner or um, are decently high up there. Yeah. So I yeah I think I think if I was if I was uh, like in like two thousandth I I would I would just like punt on a guy like I would take I would take I would take someone low like Shez or something like who I would just never use in a in a more competitive segment. Yeah, like the the old school lone wolf approach. I don't think Shez would be Tom Tom Hoagie. Tom Hoagie would be a lone wolf. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Tom Hoagie and one and done, folks. Davis Maddock, you can catch him every week on the Going for the Green podcast, exclusively on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. <laughs> He's, I always love finding the golfers who have like less Twitter followers than I do, and just being like, "That's the dude," like just sweating out a guy who just like uh, you know no one knows who he is or whatever. Yeah, you can tweet at him and maybe he'll give you a little bump. Yeah. Um, all right, man. I think that uh, I think that does it for us here. Yeah. I mean, my final thoughts is definitely wait to build your lineups as long as possible this week. There could be an advantage to the course rotation. Um, kind of all stuff I'll try to cover Wednesday when I read up the, the pro tip for Daily Roto. All right. There we go. Make sure to check back. Uh, use the data golf tools. Make some smart decisions. Check the weather. And uh, we will see you back next week.